Ah, it's been a long year. And we have learned a lot about ourselves in the last year. Uh, Our nation is more divided than we thought it was. We learned that this year. We like being told what to do even less than we thought we did. We learned that this year. Life is even more fragile than we thought it was. We learned that this year. One thing we can learn about ourselves, if we look, comes from the reaction we have when we are faced with so much death for so long that we're just forced to kind of look it in the eye. This is the same reaction that some of our older men who fought in Korea and in Vietnam can tell you when you are surrounded by so much death and carnage. It is just hard to wrap your mind around it and say, is there really this much death and suffering in the world? This, this is not how it is supposed to be. Or 911 operators or some people who work in the more perilous parts of the medical profession can tell you it is hard to just watch this much death. And we've all had to be that person in the last year. Some of us, it's hit very close to home. We have grieved over loved ones. Some of us have, you know, maybe one step removed, comforted someone who has grieved over a loved one. And others of us have just watched the number go up and watch it pass 200,000 and approach 300,000. And about 500,000 just keep going up like this over enough time, we're forced to admit to ourselves that death is a reality. And there is just a voice inside of us that says, no, like that is not how it is supposed to be. People are not supposed to just die. What, what is, something is broken. What is going on? Now, what's going on in our hearts when we feel that way and then react all sorts of different ways because we just abhor the carnage so much? What's going on is we know deep down, each one of us knows that we were made for eternal life. We were made to live forever. And you were born with a little part of your heart knowing that. You were born with the golden word eternity just written on your heart. And so when you see something that seems to contradict it like that, you say something is broken, something is not right here. And we know this because the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that eternity is written on all the hearts of mankind. In fact, that God put eternity on our heart. So we know that we were all born with this sense that there must be something bigger to living, dying, and decaying in the ground after that. There must be something better than that. And yet, we aren't born knowing how to find it. We want eternal life. We want to live forever. But we're not born knowing how to get there. And that is why I am so eager to begin walking through the Gospel of John with you for these next four weeks. Because the book of John was written to show you how to find the eternal life that your soul craves. 
how to find the eternal life that you were born knowing must exist somewhere if only I can find it. John has one purpose in his book and his purpose is to show you how to find it. So for the next four weeks, going along with our church's Bible reading plan, we'll be going through the book of John very quickly. This will also line up with the coming holy days of Palm Sunday, perhaps Good Friday, and certainly Resurrection Sunday as well. We start today with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. First 18 verses of the book, where we find John's introduction to who Jesus Christ is. And here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The words of the Lord. Okay, so what we have in these words is a really profound glimpse into God's glory, particularly in the way it is revealed through Jesus Christ. And with that glimpse comes a call to believe in him for all he is and receive eternal life. Now, I said earlier that John has one goal in this gospel, and he says it very plainly toward the end. Later on in chapter 20, he says, there were many other things that Jesus did, right? Stuff that I didn't write down. He did it in front of his disciples. We got to see it. It was amazing, but I didn't write it all in this book. He says, these things were written so that you may believe and by believing might receive life in his name. So in that, he tells us what the point of the whole book is. He wants us to believe 
And by believing in Jesus, by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, we can find eternal life in his name. So everything that John writes in these 21 chapters all comes back to that desire, his desire for you and I to believe in Jesus and therefore receive eternal life. Now, that is why you see so many times in the book of John, and you may notice this if you're reading along with us, you see so many times the word believe and life right next to each other. You see this even once in a verse that many people have memorized, John 3.16. It says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever does what? Just shout it at me. Believes. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting what? Life, right? So believe in life, right? Believe in him and have life. Now, why do people latch on to John 3.16 like that? Because that's the point of the whole book. John wants us to believe and have eternal life. His purpose just comes through clear there. and We beeline right to it. Well, a few verses later in verse, I believe it's 36, Jesus says again, whoever believes in the Son has life, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Uh, A few chapters later in chapter 5, he says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. There it is, believe and have eternal life yet again. A chapter later, he says again, Whoever believes in me has eternal life. And then later on, he's about to raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. But before he does it, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. Over and over, we read through it, and we see him pair these words together. He's doing that because he wants to drill into our hearts his main message, believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. Now, I love when biblical authors do this because we don't have to do a lot of work to wonder what he's getting at. We don't have to do a lot of work to wonder what the Spirit wants us to do from this word. We know already he wants us to believe. And he wants us to have eternal life. And that means that you don't have to wonder what my purpose is for the next four weeks. You don't have to wonder what I'm trying to push you to. Where's he going with this? All four weeks, I'll land in the same place. I want you to believe and thereby have eternal life. So he begins with this introduction, with these 18 verses. And it is really fitting, I think, to call it an introduction, as many do, Because it really functions the same way as when you're maybe at a gathering or at Sunday school or something, and you get an introduction to somebody, right? There's somebody new. And let's say you're in Sunday school, and the teacher says, we have a new person. Her name is so-and-so. She moved here from such-and-such and works at such-and-such a company. Okay, there's your introduction to the person, right? So now you have kind of the the cold, hard facts, the, the, the nutshell of the whole thing, right? Then you'll begin talking with the person, and you'll get to know them. But before you got to know them, you got introduced, right? You got that essential info. And John essentially does the same thing here. Readers will get to know Jesus as he performs miracles, as he teaches many things, as he even raises Lazarus from the dead, as he dies and rises himself from the dead. We'll get to know Jesus throughout these 21 chapters. But first, he says, let me introduce you to him. Let me tell you in a nutshell who Jesus is. Then you're ready to get to know him through the rest of this book. That introduction starts in the first five verses, where we see a few concepts that are repeated many places throughout the Bible. In verse 1, 
Jesus is called the Word, and it's said that he was there in the beginning. It says that again in verse 2. So he's called the Word. It starts with in the beginning, same way Genesis starts, right? So all the way back to the beginning, that Word was there. So we got Word from one, verse 1. In verse 3, we see that everything was created through him. So he is then the word by which everything was made. So creation there in verse 3. In verse 4, we see that life is in him. In him is life, and the life is the light of men. And then finally in verse 5, we see light shines in the darkness. Light is in him. That begins in verse 4 and goes into verse 5. So four concepts there. He is the word. Everything was created through him. He gives life and he gives light. That's the early part of the introduction here. Now, why are all those concepts woven together like that? Why is he bouncing back and forth between all of those ideas? Well, the reason is that his audience is largely Jewish. They know their Old Testaments very well. And his readers would know that those are Old Testament themes that all join together. You see, in the Old Testament, God created everything by spoken words. And God gave life to everything by spoken words, and God gave light to everything by spoken words. So to unite all those with the concept of the word, that makes sense to a Jewish reader. So the idea here, the teaching in the Old Testament he's building on, is that when God interacts with his universe, when he exercises his power as sovereign king, when he reveals himself to his people, when he's doing stuff with and to us, he tends to do it through spoken words. That tends to be the main way that he interacts with us and with this universe that he has made. And this starts on the very first page of your Bible when he makes everything. Many times you read in Genesis 1, and God said and it was so, right? God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, let there be an expanse, and then there was an expanse. God said, let the water swarm with living creatures, and boom, there it was. God said, let us make animals and beasts and creeping things on the land, and boom, there it was. And finally, God says, let us make man in our image, and there is man. Just as Psalm 33 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So he didn't make all of this by, by wishing it into being. And he didn't make all of this by literally sculpting it, although poetically you could say that, and the Bible even does. No, he made it all through spoken words. That's the way that he chose to make the universe. Could have done it however he wanted to. Chose to do it by spoken words. Not only that, but he gives life to everything through spoken words. He says to the sea, let them swarm with living creatures. And all of a sudden, there they are alive and swarming. He would bring, no, he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And how much life has come from his words, be fruitful and multiply. And eventually, he would raise up the prophets to bring new life to Israel, call them back to life when they had fallen into death and destruction. And they would do so by speaking and saying, thus says the Lord. At one point, the prophet Ezekiel comes to an old battlefield that is full of bones. The soldiers have fallen. They have, their bodies have turned to skeletons and then the skeletons have fallen apart. There's bones strewn about all over this valley. 
And the Lord says to Ezekiel, speak a word of prophecy to them. So Ezekiel does. He says, thus says the Lord. And as the words come out of his mouth, the bones come back together into skeletons. And the skeletons get flesh on them again and come back into bodies. But they're still dead. Then the Lord says, speak another word. And so Ezekiel gets up and once again, thus saith the Lord, right? He speaks God's words and now the bodies come back to life. He brings this momentary resurrection, this momentary new life. And we marvel at that story. We love it. How did he do it? He did it with spoken words. Then he also gives light to guide our path through words, through spoken and written words. The psalmist will say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He will say, the unfolding of your word gives light. Right? I can see and, and walk in safety because of the guidance your word gives me. Another psalmist in Psalm 43 will cry out to the Lord, send forth your light and your truth. And his cry is basically, let your light lead me home. Like send forth your truth, your word to be light, to bring me all the way back to Jerusalem in safety. So God gives this light to guide us in wisdom. How does he do it? He does it through words. You see how powerful his words are, how much he chooses to do everything he does to reveal himself to us, to do all that he does through spoken words, through written words. He loves his words. And he even brings the light of judgment through his spoken words. One of those prophets that rises up is Hosea. And he speaks a word of judgment. He says, therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as light. So sometimes this word of light is a word of judgment. The, the word that sheds light on our sin so that it's seen and can be judged. This too comes from the word. So then nearly everything God does in this world, he does through spoken words, creating giving life, giving light, bringing judgment. He does all of these things through spoken words. And what we marvel at here on this page is that all of that power, all of that ability to give life, all of that judgment, all of that wisdom, every glory that God is that he reveals about himself, everything he is has now been wrapped up into a physical body, into a man named Jesus. A body that has a beard that grows, a body that has fingernails like ours, the glory of God, if you can fathom it, wrapped up into a human body. And we get this from verse 14, which uses that same idea, the word, and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's our introduction to Jesus. That's who Jesus is. If you want to get a good, firm understanding of who he is, who is he? He is God's 
full revelation of everything he is wrapped up in a human body. All of God made man. Perhaps the most profound thing that has ever happened. God made man. And so if that word brings creation, life, wisdom, and even judgment, that means that if the word has been made flesh, all of those things come to humanity through Jesus, through that word. Where does new creation come from now? It comes through Jesus. Where does new life come from? It comes from Jesus. Where does the light of wisdom for our lives come? It comes through Jesus. Where does judgment come from? It comes when Jesus returns with a sword coming out of his mouth and the words of his mouth strike down the nations. It all comes, everything God does now comes through Jesus, all wrapped up into this man. And that means profound things for us, for what it means to follow God and be a Christian. Essentially, it means that there is no coming to God and no following God without Jesus. It is all bottlenecked right now through Jesus. It is all done through Jesus. So maybe we'll separate that into those parts. If, first then, if you want to be remade, given new eternal life. Remember, we hit on that at the beginning. We all want this eternal life. We all want to live forever. Where do you go to find it? You must go to Jesus to find it. You see that first in verse four, which we already read, in him was life, right? If you want life, you want to live forever, you've got to go to him. That's where life is. And we see how this is done in verses 12 and 13. Now, John, in this part, has just said that his people did not even receive him when he came, but then he says something really profound after that. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, see, there's that new life, new creation, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you got right there, if you want new life, if you would like to be reborn and remade, this time as one of God's children, who has then eternal life, because our Father lives on forever, we must come to Jesus. Particularly, it says, who receive him and who believed in his name. That is, to be really precise, what you must do if you want to come to Jesus. If you want all of these things from Jesus' hand, what do you got to do? Receive him, believe in his name. That just means to take all that he is, all that he claims to be, and say, I trust it all. I'll take it all. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay, I believe you because you're Jesus and I believe you. He says, I am God-made man. We say, okay, I receive you. I believe you. He says, I died and behold, I live and my death pays for the sins of sinners. We say, okay, I trust you. I will take it all. It means to look to all of his claims about himself and trust ourselves upon every last one of them. And he speaks of it here as a whole person, right? We got to believe in his name. Everything that his glory and name represent, we must receive him. This is somewhat like when you, if you get married, if you have a spouse and you got married, 
On the day that you got married, you received your whole spouse as a gift from God, right? You got the good, the bad, and the ugly as a gift from God. And you did not get to say, okay, I receive your good looks and I receive all of your earthly possessions, but I do not receive your crazy mom as my mother-in-law, right? You don't get to do that, do you? No, you receive the whole person, either give or take the whole person there at the altar. That's the way that these unions work. That is the way that it works when you come to Jesus as well. The way John's talking about it, you've got to receive him, not your version of him. Right? Not, well, you know, I've crafted a Jesus of my own choosing, of my own making. I prefer this Jesus who operates this way instead of some of those uncomfortable things that the Jesus of the Bible says. I will trust my Jesus. Friend, I have to tell you, you must receive the real Jesus. You must receive him as he is. You don't get to receive your version of him. You must receive him as he is. This leaves no room for us to say, Okay, I receive his moral teachings. He was a good moral teacher. I even receive him as a prophet from God, but I do not believe that he is the son of God. I do not believe he is God. Leaves no room to say that because he claims to be God made flesh. He claims to be the son of God. And so if you're going to receive him, you must receive that claim about him. If you reject that, you are rejecting him. It leaves no room to say, okay, I believe all of those miracles. I believe that he died to pay for sinners, but risen from the dead? That, that's too much for me. No, I, I think the disciples faked that one, right? Believe the whole thing up to the resurrection. Can't believe that. No, we, we don't have room to say that. You must believe the entire Jesus, everything that he claims about himself. If you're willing to look to him and say, Jesus, there are parts of you that are palatable to me that I like, and there are parts of you that are not palatable to me that I don't like, but I will receive all of you. I take all of you because I'm not the judge. You are. So I'll sit under your teachings. I will sit at your feet, trust you, and follow you no matter where you lead me. That, friends, is faith. Faith looks to the promises of God and says, God, I believe you. I trust you. I receive those promises for myself. So according to that verse there, if you want to receive new birth and eternal life forever with God in his kingdom, what you must receive is this person, this Jesus, who is God made man. Not only this, if you want wisdom for your path, if you want light to guide the way, the one you must receive is, is Jesus. And we see that in a few places, perhaps most profoundly in verse 9, where it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So there is that true wisdom, that true light, which gives light to all, and he's coming into the world. So if you want the true light, the true light has a name now. If you want wisdom to guide you, wisdom has a name now. Wisdom has a beard now. And he is the one that we must receive if we are to get wisdom. Now this is important because we believe, I think all of us, that if you want true wisdom, you got to go to the book, right? That's where you find good, reliable wisdom. And that is true because he, God gives it through his words. 
But there is more to it than that. The light of the word comes through a person, and you must trust in the person to receive the light. If you come to the book, but you reject the one the book is about, you won't get what the book has for you. In fact, you may not even get the wisdom that you're looking for. Because you've come to the source of light, but you've, you've rejected the light. Maybe another way you can say this is that our words light the way, but only if you receive the word. You must have the word and receive him to have your way lit. This is important because in suburbs all around the country, there are many who feel they're so close to a good life, right? Like if we could just get our marriage and our finances sorted out, man, we really have it good here, right? And so a lot of people around here, especially in a fairly conservative suburb like Greenwood, will look to the Bible and say, you know what? There is good wisdom there. Maybe we'll go to church. Maybe they'll give us some good money advice and we'll finally get our finances under control and maybe we'll finally start treating each other better if we follow some of the principles. And they're counterintuitive, but maybe they will work. And so there are many who will sit in churches all over our suburbs because they want to hear wisdom from the word of God. They want their lives to be improved by God's word. They sense that there's something eternal there. They may even be willing to give money to give in the offering. They even be willing to serve in the church because, hey, this institution helps people. It helps raise children who are moral and that leads to a good society. There's good wisdom here. But what many are not willing to do is receive the one the book is about. Receive Jesus. The wisdom is auxiliary compared to the one that the book is about, compared to Jesus, who is the person of wisdom. And I just want to tell you, that does not work. If you come looking for pro tips on marriage and just lay aside the claims about Jesus, it's less likely the marriage thing is going to work also. Why? Because you've rejected the light. This book, in that case, will be as useful to you as a lamp for your path that you never light. Or as useful as a flashlight that you walk in the dark with, but never turn on. If you want to turn the flashlight on, you have to receive Jesus. He is the light that you need to gain light from his word, the true light which enlightens everyone. Now, a few chapters later in John, I won't get to preach on it, but Jesus will say this outright to the Pharisees. There are People in in his day who really knew their Bibles, they had chunks of it memorized, they really pretended to live it out, they knew what this or that rabbi said about it, they could debate about what it meant, they knew the words well. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you have life, and yet it is me that they testify about, and you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. Here is a group then that knew the words but didn't recognize the word when it came. Now for us in this room, I know you guys, you guys know me, one of the things we share in common is we have a high regard for this book, right? And so if we're going to fall off track 
It's less likely to be in the take the wisdom and throw everything else out route. It's more likely to be in the master the book, love the book, but miss the point of the book route. We're more likely to fall into the trap that the Pharisees fell fell into than we are into the wisdom trap here in this room. And so what we must do is continue trusting in this word, continue going back to it, but let it point us to Jesus Christ. Because if we miss him, all of those Sunday school classes, all those Bible studies, all of those videos we make, all of those sermons will be for naught if we miss the one that the book is about. Lastly, it is also that when judgment comes, it comes through the word. When all of this comes to an end and the nations are struck down, there is a man who does it. It's Jesus who comes back and does it. God's word will interact with you one way or another. Either you will receive him and receive eternal life, or you will see him return in this judgment. Either way, you will fall into the hands of Jesus Christ. Whether you receive him today or reject him, you will fall into the hands of Jesus. And that is because he is the word by which God reveals all that he is. Now, his coming solves our greatest problem. And we see that in verse 18. He just hints for a moment at the greatest problem humanity has. He says, no one has ever seen God. Now you you might skip over those or you might miss what they mean. Now to a student of the Old Testament, those are loaded words. Because as we saw a few weeks ago when we looked at Moses before the burning bush, one of the big themes in the Old Testament is that no one can see God and live, right? No one can look God in the face and live. And that is what he's alluding to when he says no one has seen God. He means no one has seen God and lived. You can't see God and live. That's why he's talking about life so much and says no one has seen God. This theme is strong in the Old Testament. You may remember all this from a few weeks ago. I'll run through it again. Moses comes before that burning bush and there is God revealed to him. But it's just a symbol, right? He's not seeing the face of God. He's seeing a bush and fire. And yet he hides his face. Because he knows this is God talking to me and no one can see God and, and live, right? A few chapters later, God will appear to him. And Moses will say, God, God, show me your glory. Show me your, your name. God says, I will show you my name, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. And then my goodness will pass by and you will see my back, but not my face. Because, he says, No one can see my face and live. No one can see the face of God. No sinner can see the face of God and live. Later on, the prophet Isaiah will see the Lord in his vision, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. So this means super high throne, probably far away, just looks like a speck of light in the distance, perhaps. And the train of his robe, the hem of his robe is filling the whole temple. He's that glorious. Isaiah looks up and sees that speck of the Lord's glory up there, and he says, woe is me, I'm ruined I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He knows. No, no one can see that face on that throne and live. 
Now he does live through that day because an angel comes, places a coal on his lips, and this is a symbol of his sins being atoned for. On and on, Elijah sees God revealed in a whisper and wraps his face. No one can see God and live. And that is why Jesus came. As the verse finishes, the only God who is at the Father's side, that, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is both only God himself and at the Father's side at the same time. He has made him known. In Jesus, you have the face of God, which you can look into and live. There is the solution to our greatest problem. Eternal life in a man, in God-made man, in Jesus Christ. So that's who Jesus is. He is God made known and accessible to us. You wouldn't be able to see God if he didn't just appear before you, right? He's at his throne in heaven. And if you did see him, it would kill you. But here is all that he is wrapped up into a man that you can see and you can live. And so here's my call to you. If you would have eternal life, the forgiveness of all of your sins through his death and resurrection, if you would have rebirth, if you'd like to be born again as a son and heir of God, a brother to Jesus, a son of the high king, if you would have that, if you would have light for your path to get you all the way to the end so that you get safely home, if you would have salvation, the one you must look to is Jesus Christ. There's no other who can give these things to you. There is no other who is the word made flesh. And as the book of Acts says, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So that's my call to you. And I will make this call next week, the week after, the week after that, God willing. But don't wait. Don't presume on God's kindness that you will make it back here next week. If you have the call now, trust upon his promises and be saved today. Let's pray.